Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you are the one who has blessed us beyond all measure. That you have revealed yourself through creation that we might be able to know of uh, your power, your majesty, but also you have revealed yourself through Scripture. And in times of difficult, uh, depressing, dark nights, that we are able to see who you are and trust in who you are. Lord, that your words are sweet to us, sweet for us to taste, sweeter than honey in our mouths, that we would seek to be able to dwell in that sweetness, which is found in your word, which points us to Christ. We pray that you do that this morning for us as we read your word, as we study your word, that you would be glorified and that we would seek to be able to find our peace and our refuge in you through Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. One aspect that is quite hard to be able to fathom when we read through the Bible is any sense of timeline or timing. When you read through a biography of a famous person, you sit, can sit down and within you know, a couple of hours or a couple of weeks, however long it takes you to be, you can read their whole life. And it's hard to be able to fathom periods of their life. They will put dates in brackets, but to be able to understand how, how long that is in, in relationship to your life is quite difficult. And it is the same here as we read through the book of Exodus. It is hard for us to be able to fathom what it would have been like to be in one of those children or sons of Israel during this time. We often look at the Bible and we speak of God's goodness and His graciousness towards His people. And we focus, especially even in the book of Exodus, how God delivers the people of Israel from the slavery which is put upon them. I think you can see that's what the story of Exodus is about. That's what we see as we turn through the pages. But also it's very very important for us to be able to consider how dark and depressing this time actually was for the people of God. That here we have Abraham's offspring, and they're going to be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. There's a time roughly between Exodus 1, Genesis 50, and Exodus 1 
and 2 is about 400 years. Even the period between the end of what we looked at last time in in Exodus chapter 2 up to verse 22 to Exodus 3 is around the period of about 40 years as Moses is in the wilderness of Midian. And during this whole time, the people of God have been persecuted and oppressed. During this whole time, they get up day after day and go and make bricks for Pharaoh, carrying this heavy burden, been pushed to limit. Generations grow up underneath this oppressive hand. And we focus on the end of the story. We focus on how God does deliver them, does redeem them. But yet there are generations that did not see this deliverance. There are generations that did not see the strong hand of God. Of this dark days, of this slavery and oppression. And often the question we have in those times is not, does God exist in these periods of our lives? But what is God doing in those periods of our lives? And it doesn't then take long for us to then be able to think about times in our own lives where we have felt this way or asked those questions. It's not that we deny the existence of God, But we're left wondering, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? What is God doing? There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Our life is filled with tears and bad news, sorrow and sadness. Where is he? What is he doing? Well, this passage today, although short, I think should give us great comfort to know what God is doing in those days. But here, it begins by saying in those many days. Again, it's hard for us to be able to fathom the length of time. The, the, the people of God are being oppressed. But what is God doing in this time? The first thing that we see that God hears. That this unnamed Pharaoh in chapter 1 who sought to be able to destroy the sons of Israel finally died. This will be an important point of history, a turning point of a change in the story. It's that Moses has fled to Midian to be able to flee the hand of this Pharaoh. He dies, and then at the end of chapter 4, verse 19, we're told this is why he can return back to Egypt. And the people of God have been waiting during this time. They've been building houses for this Pharaoh. The sons of Israel are feeling the burden placed upon them by Pharaoh. They groan because of this slavery. 
in Deuteronomy chapter 26, when they're retelling the story of the Exodus, in verses 6 and 7, the people of God repeat this. And they speak of this period of time, and they say, And the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us. They laid on us hard labor. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. What we see here, even in chapter 2, is merely just a summary of what is happening during these dark and depressing days. We see that these Egyptians did six things to the sons of Israel. They just treated them harshly. They humiliated them. They laid hard labor upon them. They afflicted them, toiled for them. They oppressed them. Again, we should not downplay this time for the people of God. Their sons were thrown into the Nile. Their hands calloused, backs whipped. Most of their hearts would have been broken. And they groan. They let out a loud cry for help. The word might, might be better known no, not so much as a groan, but a sigh. The last breath. <sighs> They're defeated, deflated. They're exhausted and their hope is eclipsed. Now all this happens in the days when Moses is in Midian. But we shouldn't assume that this hasn't happened prior to this moment. Even as you think about Moses' parents' names. There were names of faith. But also, during this 40-year period, all these groans seemingly go up what is God doing? For them, it seems that no one is home. They pick up the phone, they dial in the number, and what do they get? Straight to voicemail. However, what this passage teaches us is that in this depth of their crying as they're sighing, we're told that God is there, that God does hear their groans. Their cry for rescue, for slavery, came up to God. And God doesn't merely outsource it to some other department. Often when you call some large department store or some large organization, you're not connected to anyone who has any power. The best I can do for you today, sir, is to give you a 5% discount. That's all they're authorized to be able to do. They have no power, authority in themselves. Even if you go further up the line, you're never really going to get to the person who is able to be able to fix your problem. However, that's not how it works with God. The people of God begin to cry out for help, and it goes directly to Him. Not only does it go straight to God, but... He is the one who hears. Now, before we go any further, we need to really understand that God hears. 
that even that should give us great comfort. Does anything change for the people of God in that moment? No. They're still under the hand of Pharaoh. There's great comfort to know that when you pray, your prayer goes directly to God and He hears your prayer. Just because nothing doesn't change doesn't mean that God doesn't hear. But also notice something else very important. Notice where this is located. Here the people are crying out for help. But yet, God is already answering their prayer even before they've prayed their prayer. God is already saving Moses to be the deliverer, preparing him under the house, in the house of Pharaoh, preparing him in the wilderness to be the leader of his people. That God is already preparing for them a Savior to come, a mediator for them. That we need to be reminded that our prayers do not land on deaf ears, but the ears of God. We find comfort, as the psalmist writes, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. For the Apostle John, when he says with confidence, that God hears. It says, and this is the confidence that we have towards Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. We need to be reminded that although we do not see the immediate response, but we need to know that God hears. And for some of us, we are the ones who are crying out with tear-filled eyes, crying to God to be able to do something. And He hears us. He hears our prayer for our children who are wandering. He hears our prayers for those who have no one else to turn to. He hears our prayers when we have nothing, no light, no hope in the circumstances we find ourselves in. He hears us. No one else in the world might be listening, but God is. That should give us great comfort. He hears us. He hears our groans. The second thing that we see in this passage is that God remembers. We can find great comfort knowing that God remembers his promises. We might make a promise and forget it even moments after but God does not. Actually, in, these, in this suffering, God's people actually go back and cry out to the God of their fathers. That even, even this suffering that they're going through is, is somewhat of a promise which God has made and told them this would happen. He told them that this would happen, that it would be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. But he also told them that it would only be for a time. 400 years. Again, this doesn't then mean that pain doesn't matter, that the, the pain and the calloused hands, the, the whipped backs, 
Not then to say, suck it up, Israel. During this time, young boys' lives were cut short. Each day, Israelites would get up, carry these heavy loads. The pain that's caused and harm that's done to their bodies. But when we think of these, two, these promises of hardship, the Lord warns us about how we, should, how we can find comfort in two ways. First is that God knows what is going to happen before we do. God is not caught unaware. He is not caught off guard. God knows the outcome. We should find comfort that God knows what is going to happen. But more importantly than that, that not only God knows the outcome, but he knows the outcome is going to be good. Paul in Romans 8.28 says that God works all things for good. He has a plan and a purpose that we might never be able to understand or comprehend. But also this plan and a purpose has an end. That these hardships are always short-lived when we compare them to eternity. The end on this side might be painful, horrific death. But at that moment, that end is the end of all that pain and suffering. It's no more. No more tears, no more sadness, no more sorrow, no more sickness. Eternity begins. God promises us that we will be persecuted if we live a godly life. But then the next line explains that the evil people and the uh, those imposters, what it will go is from it will get bad to worse. God promises the believer that everything will be better, much better. Jack likes to remind us, for the believer, this is the worst it will ever be. But to the unbeliever, this is the best that we'll ever find. But the other thing that we must consider during this time of pain and suffering does not mean that the people have sinned. Now, sometimes it does. The discipline from the Father is painful and it has a purpose. The author of Hebrews explains in chapter 12. However, we see in Exodus, all the people of of God was doing what they were commanded to do. They were going forth, multiplying, and being fruitful. They're increasing, growing in number, and Pharaoh saw this as a threat. He started to persecute. Sometimes we might have pain in our life because of disobedience. We're doing things outside of God's revealed will, will. But sometimes we have pain and suffering in our life while we are still obeying God's revealed will. Paul says that the godly will suffer persecution, not that the ungodly would suffer persecution. And we can find comfort knowing that these these moments of pain in our life aren't necessarily a result of direct sin. 
And that's what we see in the book of Exodus. That we ultimately see the wicked will be judged. We see the power of God. Give him all the glory. But notice as it gets better, we notice what God remembers. It's not the promises Israel had made with God. It is, in fact, God's promises he had made to them. Specifically to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He hears the people, his people crying out for God to help them. And God does not turn to the people of Israel and then get out his checklist and say, Well, let's see if you've kept up your end of the bargain. How well have you been serving me lately? He he doesn't turn to their faithfulness or their unfaithfulness. But every single one of the promises God makes that builds throughout the book of Genesis is about what God will do for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not the other way around. He remembers the promises that he made to them. He was going to make them a great nation. He was going to bless them. He was going to give them a land forever. That he would be with them. He would keep them. He would provide for them the sacrifice. He would bless other nations through them. And all of this is based on what God promises to do for his people, not what his people promise to do for God. That this covenant is always based on grace. That this should give us great comfort during those times when we are in the dark tunnel of despair. That he remembers his promise. It's not based on whether his people remember. It's not based on whether his people keep the side of their promise. Paul says that when we are unfaithful, that God is faithful, for he cannot deny himself. <laughs> this again connects to the first point. When we think about God hearing, Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Because God is the living God, he can hear us. Because he is the loving God, he will hear us. Because he is our covenant God, he has bound himself. To hear. What a glorious thing when we think about those dark and depressing times. But the passage doesn't stop there. Not only God hears us, God remembers. The third thing is God sees. This should bring us comfort during difficult times because God sees. During those times, we're crying out to God that God would hear us, but we also want Him to be able to see what is happening. That God sees every small injustice done to his people. That one Israelite person who was alone that day, who was put to get death by the taskmaster, who beat him to death. The Lord saw that injustice. That helpless young babe who was thrown into Nile left to die. 
the Lord saw that injustice. God sees the injustices done in the darkness. The ones where no one else is witness to them. Many times in this world, it is truly the fact that it is one person's word against another. We need to understand in the courts of the Lord that is not so. The Lord is witness, and he is the one who has the final say. The guilty are not able to talk their way out of it. Evidence is not misplaced. It's not thrown out because of clerical errors. The Lord sees. The Lord knows. For those who have gone through or going through some of those dark moments in your life, you might find some comfort in knowing that God hears. You might find some comfort in knowing that God remembers. But I think you might find great comfort in knowing that God sees. God has seen what has happened. He knows what has happened. God knows the wrong that has been done to you. Even if no one else hears you, no one else believes you, God sees. God sees all things. He knows all things. And that every creature will have to stand before God and give an account. God watches over all things. Proverbs says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Or as Luke records in his gospel, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. What you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetop. There's one more thing that this passage teaches us about how God works in these difficult times. And that is God knows. Finally, we can have comfort in those dark and difficult times because we're told that God knows. Here the people of God are under that heavy burden placed upon them. Again, it's not merely just some form of intellectual knowledge that God is aware of what is happening. When the Bible speaks that God knows, it is often such an intimate time. It speaks of a husband knowing the wife. It is not merely that God knows what happens in some distant manner, but God has a connection to his people. God knows how he is going to save his people. God is already preparing Moses. God is not sitting back on the stage of his creation, but he is working. He hears the prayers of his people. He remembers his covenant. He sees their suffering. He knows their pain. We will see how much God loves his people. God will go to great lengths to save his people from this oppression. He will show up with all of his power and all of his might. Pharaoh is unable to refuse him. He will judge those who have harmed his people. We see it in this glorious story. 
We need to know that this great and comforting verse, that in the midst of darkness the Lord is for and He is with His people. The Lord will fight for them. So we see what happens right before the Gospels. Silence. Where's God? What is God doing in the world? We know from the accounts of the Gospel, there's, there's godly people that are crying out for God to raise up a deliverer, to send one, to save them. But yet, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's years of silence. 400 years of silence. Well, what we see, God hears. God remembers his promise. And he raises up his son who comes down to earth, puts on flesh, dwells amongst them. That they might be able to be free from their sin. He knows. We see this clearly in the story of Exodus, but we have a greater hope to boast in than Moses, as the author of Hebrews explains in chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels, that he helps. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered and was when tempted, he is able to help those who have been tempted. And here we have God not only raising up a mediator, but God coming down to become that mediator who went through what the people of God went through. He was the one who cried. He was the one who prayed that God would remember. That we then have this confidence to be able to draw near to the throne of grace because of Christ, our brother. The great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, yet without sin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you for your word. That your word teaches us of what you are doing in the midst of pain and suffering. Lord, although nothing changes, and the outward appearance for the people of God between verses 23 and 25. Lord, we see what you are doing. Lord, we pray that we would find great comfort in knowing that you are God who hears our prayers. You're God who remembers your promises. Lord, you're God who sees all injustices. You're God who knows us. Lord, we pray that we would find great comfort in knowing these great truths as we go before the throne of grace with a great high priest who is able to sympathize with us, yet without sin. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.